0: Every day, millions of dollars are lost to a lack of IT oversight and inefficient
1: infrastructure. At QEH2, we take your security seriously and can handle everything from a new business startup to a Fortune 500 looking to make a change. We are an IT company that puts your needs first. Call QEH2 today at 303-688-7531 or visit us online at wwwqeh 2com Mention the Ladies Chit Chat Club and receive a free security evaluation. 303 7531 QEH2, Business Intelligence. Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me mentoring me and inspiring me on how grit and grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Grit and Grace. We're going to dive into a really interesting topic today around travel. And before we get there, I just want to remind all of you that are listening, you've, you've heard and seen some of my notices that we have launched the new Grit, Grace and Glory Box. So if you have not visited our website and learned about what we're doing for women, made by women, it's amazing. Go check it out at the GX3box.com. And now we are going to get into hearing from my amazing guest. Her name is Jen Ruiz, and we call her, or she calls her, actually everybody calls her, Jen on a jet plane. And she's a lawyer turned travel blogger and author. Her book, The Affordable Flight Guide, is a number one Amazon bestseller and 2018 Reader's Favorite Award winner. Jen is also a TEDx speaker and has been featured as a budget and solo travel expert by the Washington Post, Huffington Post, Business Insider, and ABC News. She documents her adventures on her website, which is Jen on a Jet Plate, and we will put that in the show notes for you, where she helps young professionals travel for less and experience more. Jen, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: You know that I, you know, when you and I first discussed this topic, I told you that in my experience, traveling the world has been one of the, like, most eye-opening experiences that I've had in my life because we get exposed to new things and different cultures. And I so love the idea that you help people do that. Absolutely. Yes,
2: I I agree with you completely. I think once you take your first trip abroad and really put yourself outside your comfort zone, you discover what you're made of and you grow to have an affinity for it. I think anybody who's been through that experience really remembers it fondly.
1: For sure. And I I also think, though, that a, a big interesting part of your story that I want to talk about first is the fact that you gave up practicing law to do this. That's an unusual career path. So, you know, tell us about it. I mean, how did that, how did that come about?
2: Well, it wasn't, you know, what I thought when I was starting out, I just started blogging when I was back in, when I was a law clerk and I was waiting on my Florida bar results just to have something else to do other than the monotony of like law clerk work, which if you know, is really Dull. Um, They give you like Like all the (laughs) bad, bad. Just really not a fun way to spend a day. So I had to have a creative outlet, and that's when I started blogging. Really, just started doing kind of lifestyle pieces, kind of fluff pieces. You know, like. 10 ways to know he's a gentleman, things like that. Really? Um, That's so interesting. And did you do all that in written form, like no vlogging? Yeah, mostly in written form because I had such a ease with writing more so than I did with video. It didn't require as much editing. I had a kind of a flow of thought and and a good way of putting together those list posts that I mastered. And I started out with kind of venues like that elite daily back before it was acquired and things like that. And it helped me grow an audience, but I didn't, it wasn't maintainable. I started out, you know, my website was first called 20 Chic, like back in the day. Um, That's so interesting. I'm no longer in my 20s. Time yeah. has flown. <laughs> So I needed something that could grow with me. And eventually, is that's when I stumbled on Jen on a Jet Plane back when I started my kind of 12 trips in 12 months challenge before my 30th birthday, uh, where I just wanted to travel and see the world because it was something that I had done the year prior in a less grand scale. You know, I, went, I took a trip to Machu Picchu that was really enlightening and just really wonderful for me to have that moment of alone, of literally summiting a mountain. And it gave me a lot of confidence. And so that's when I decided to, venture out on my year of adventure. And then after that is when I wrote my book on how I found cheap flights all over the place. Cause I only took that many trips because I could find cheap flights. Otherwise it would have been impossible. It's hard to travel. And I think you really have to have a budget and finding flights for a much reduced price allows you to free up hundreds of dollars for things like accommodations or, you know, eating abroad. So Made a huge difference. You know, I paid $70 to get to Aruba. People pay $600 for that flight round trip. And it's, you know, that's a couple extra hundred dollars that I could have. So I put all of those tips into my first book because that's what people wanted to know. That's what they kept asking me. Everybody said, how do you get all these cheap flights? And you gotta give the people what they want. So I gave them the first book. And then after that, I realized that I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to try something different besides law.
1: So you were still working in full-time when you had the goal of 12 trips in 12 months. Yes. And so how did you get the time off to do that? How long, first of all, I guess it depends on the length of stay of each trip, right? Correct. Yeah. So how did you do that in a year with, with a full-time job?
2: Well, like you mentioned, the stays would make a difference. So I could take a lot of short trips, things like long weekends over holidays, uh, Labor Day, Memorial Day, things like that. I could take a three, four day trip. I took local trips. I took, you know, a trip to the Epcot Food and Wine Festival, being in South Florida. I just went to like, the middle of Florida. I took a day to do that. And it was wonderful. So different things like that. But I was able to do that because I was finally in a setting in the law where I was at a nonprofit versus a private law firm. So my hours were much more nine to five versus like 6am to Um, 1am. Round trip, not like, like the whole day. So the private law firm life was not for me. And I knew that I knew I wanted a work life balance. And I knew that I would take a pay cut to be able to have that balance. So once I got to the nonprofit world, after a few years in private law, it was like, Oh, my God, I've been given the gift of time. I have all of this, you know, ability now to travel. I'm, you know, I'm not making as much money, but I'm making enough that I can support myself and still feel really good about the work that I'm doing at a nonprofit and have a good work-life balance. So I decided to start traveling and that's kind of when I dipped my toe in the water. I did the Machu Picchu trip. I went to the Netherlands with a, with a friend of mine. We went to Amsterdam together in November, you know, a couple other trips. I went myself to Colorado and I did Rocky Mountain National Park on my own. I really enjoyed nature at that time. Um, So it was really, it was a great year for me. And I just decided that I wanted to pursue that more, that I liked that feeling that I got when I was traveling, that feeling of just kind of freedom and it was something I really enjoyed even at a travel conference that was very enlightening for me too. One of my trips was in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama. It's this kind of unusual town. You wouldn't expect that they have a lot of space geeks and kind of a lot of like a a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a big kind of space hub. They're really diverse and really wonderful and I went there for a conference for a travel bloggers conference and I realized it was the first conference I was at where I actually wasn't bored. It was the first conference that I was at where I wasn't more concerned with like, what's the location I'm in? And when do we get out of the room to go actually explore and do other things? I actually wanted to be in the sessions. I actually enjoyed meeting the people and that was part of it too. And I had never, ever, ever felt that way at a legal conference. Legal conferences were torture. I mean, they they were terrible and I attended so many of them and I just sat in sessions thinking, when will this be over? And I think that seeing that contrast really made me realize where my passion Was
1: I mean, it sounds to me like you started creating and designing your own life. Like you you started deciding at some point that this wasn't for you. And you knew that you loved the travel piece. And you also knew that you had started developing this skill for being able to do it on a budget because I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to in the last year alone who say that more travel is the number one goal on their list when they get to a certain level of success. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to make time to do it now. And you're right. The biggest challenge is the cost, especially if you have a family because traveling with two, three or four people is, I just don't even know how people afford to do it. It's so expensive
2: and is you're buying everything, you know, in multiples. And there's different tactics and some airlines that will offer, you know, half off or even free tickets for children, depending different specials, the Southwest Companion Pass. So there's different tricks for families, but it's not as many and it is more difficult.
1: So you started building this life by design. You, You did this 12 trips in 12 months. You had a flexible work schedule. You were blogging about it. So you were starting to get a taste for... I like to call it living and dying by your own sword, right? Like creating your own business. And so when did you like take the leap and say, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to write a book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move my life forward in the direction that I know is filling me up.
2: Uh, maybe somewhat prematurely. And I think about that in retrospect, thinking maybe I should have had a lot more set up, you know, a better foundation. But I just, I'm very ambitious. I'm very, you know, structured. But at the same time, I can be impulsive. And when I make up my mind about something, like my mind has been made up. And there was a point that I reached towards, you know, the end of the year after my year of adventure as it was winding up. You know, the year before, I, I was excited and now that year it was over and I was kind of dreading it and I knew that a big change was coming and it was so scary and I spent, I don't know, I just was overwhelmed by emotion and i actually found myself like crying uncontrollably and my mom's like what's wrong with you and i'm like i just feel like, i don't know i feel like i'm on a precipice of something you know yeah. um, like and it's so big but it's so scary and especially to go oh,
1: yes <laughs> like
2: like from law to something that people don't respect that doesn't come with an automatic people looking at me like oh wow you do that which is mm-hmm. what i had for so many years and was a crutch as a woman as a young woman mm-hmm. as somebody in a field like i liked that being a lawyer demanded a certain level of, you know, reputation and it just and stature.
1: Yeah. This.
2: And for me, a travel blogger, I mean, it's so totally different. People think, oh, travel influencer, are you just posting pictures on Instagram? Like all kinds of things where people don't understand. And that's part of the reason why I've worked to rebrand myself as an entrepreneur, very much as a travel author, which I think an author inherently carries a certain level of respect as well. But it's been, a lot of work and a lot of self doubt. And it was such a moment of fear when I knew that I was going to have to leap. I didn't, I maybe could have stayed longer, made the best of it, you know, but I just thought I could always do that. There's always going to be a reason to stay. It's comfortable there. It's easy there. They gave me student loan payments so I could, you know, pay off my student loans after 10 years working with them completely. And they gave me a grant yearly to pay for the student loans. So these were all things where I was like, oh, these are perks that are so terrible to leave behind. And I just went for it. I just thought, why not? You know, at this point, I don't have any obligations. I can always come back. I felt like I... I did a good job there. I left a good impression. I worked hard for them, you know, despite taking trips. Like I really, if anything, overcompensated because when I came back, I felt like I had to make up for it. Right. Uh, I was friends with everybody. I really went out of my way to make a, a community there. So I felt like I didn't burn any bridges when I left there. I just was, my heart wasn't in it. And I felt like they understood that. So... I didn't feel like I was necessarily striking it out altogether and that I could never go back to law if anything went wrong. And I had that as a fallback plan, which is weird to say, like, oh, law is a fallback plan. But just for me, it wasn't giving me what I wanted. And I figured I'd be better off pursuing this. And if I was going to pursue it, might as well take that leap now when I don't have a child depending on me, when I don't have a mortgage, which I, you know, for years thought maybe I should just buy a house or settle down. But something nagged at me and told me that like this wasn't, the final life that I was creating.
0: Maybe you started a business in your basement or garage, but let's face it, that's lonely. And meeting clients in coffee shops gets old really fast enter rise collaborative workspace rise was started by a woman just like you who knows that you not only need a great space to meet clients but also a great community for support and friendship at rise they have offices or dedicated desk space to rent or drop-in memberships for those client meetings along with weekly learning and social events rise is the perfect workspace for women on the rise check out more about Rise at their fantastic website riseworkspace.com or stop by and check it out for yourself at the corner of Colorado Boulevard and 7th next to Trader Joe's. That's Rise Collaborative Workspace at riseworkspace.com and tell them you heard about it from the Ladies Chit Chat Club.
1: So, first of all, kudos to you for for taking the leap. You know, I you must know that I talk to a lot of female entrepreneurs and I would say that, you know, you are like me, a small handful of people that say, all right, I'm going to do it. I am literally going to take that massive leap and it has risk and it's scary, but there's just something inside of us that just makes it feel so amazing and worth the risk. But it's not unusual that you had a backup plan because I tell you the first six months I started my business, I was still applying for jobs. I just, I couldn't stop. I, there was just something in my brain that's, that wasn't, that wasn't fully ready to say, okay, I'm doing this. Although I was doing it. I was also reaching out to some of my contacts and I would you know tell them about my business. And then in the other, at the bottom say, oh, and by the way, I'm still looking for a job. And somebody finally said to me like, whoa, wait a minute. Are you in or are you not in? And I'm like, well, I'm in, but um, <laughs> uh, what, uh, what? so I understand, and I think that that's somewhat normal to do that, not not that taking the the leap like you know you've done and I've done, and lots of women have done, it still doesn't make it any easier.
2: I've done the same thing, so for months after I actually quit, I found myself applying for more steady jobs in the writing profession, so thinking. Funny that I need that kind of steady income, that I need to have something and that I couldn't form it on my own. So being able to do things like monetize my blog, like make steady income off the books, that's been really eye-opening for me and just such a joy for me to actually see my efforts manifest themselves in that way rather than have to slave myself on like an hourly basis. And I do have the other fallback of teaching online. I teach English online, which is kind of my steady paycheck that I have, quote unquote. But It's something that I have that I took on while I was traveling and working to be able to fund the travels in part. And it's something that I knew I could do remotely from anywhere, but I would love to transition off of it completely, pay off everything completely and be able to just sustain myself off my own entrepreneurial efforts. And that's been great for me just with like the the blog, the books and the courses are things that I'm working on moving forward. And It's such a mindset change to be able to think I could generate this on my own. I don't need to feel like I'm, you know, at the disposal or whim of anybody else. And it's
1: such an empowering feeling. But we often are our own biggest barrier right? How you just worded that, explaining that understanding and believing that you can monetize your blog and that you can actually make revenue from your books and not understanding fully what the, the potential is. you know, We we sometimes can be our, 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 our biggest hindrance in those areas because we just don't necessarily see the picture as big as maybe other people can see it. And that's part of the journey though to me. I think that that's part of what makes you so unique at what you're doing and how you're doing it because you're in a growth period. I like to say that that um, becoming an entrepreneur is the most personal journey that any person will go on because it's so much of that. It's about what our brains tell us. Well, I don't know if I can do that or I don't know how to do that. Or, you know, I'm a little solo here. That feels a little bit uncomfortable and, or a lot uncomfortable. So I totally understand it. And I'm glad that you, you shared that because there's a lot of people listening that can relate innate to
2: question yourself because you're doing something that it goes against the grain. I think when we jump into an entrepreneurial, especially on the digital space, because people don't understand it. People understand traditional careers. People understand, you know, pensions, people understand reliable. And for somebody to say like, I'm going to make a career online, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a blog. I'm going to do a feed log. I'm going to have a podcast. It's so intimidating to the rest of the world who thinks, well, that's not a viable strategy. So the whole time you're thinking, well, am I wrong? Like, is it not a viable strategy? Like, is there something wrong with me? Should I go back mm-hmm. to the steady way? And it's that every step of the way, every single day, especially because you end up working twice as hard. And a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you want to have that freedom to be able to live life on your own terms. You know, in the travel sphere, people glamorize the digital nomad world and they think, you know, I can work from anywhere. My office is by a beach maybe but you have not enjoyed that beach the whole time that you're there because you're sitting there on your computer working and you're working probably until like midnight and then you wake up again and the first thing you do is start working again because you're you really want to pour everything you have into this endeavor so it can be all-encompassing in a way that a regular job isn't because you get to shut down when you leave the office and your office is with you I think when you work remotely and it's completely different
1: and it's it's way harder doing it for yourself because it is much more difficult to turn it off. You have to you have to make a schedule or a plan to say, "Okay, I am literally not going to work today. Although I know I have a thousand things to do, I am literally not going to work today." And that's especially if you were on a beach working somewhere else, you have to prioritize it cuz what a shame that would be. And I could tell you, you know, with a previous organization I worked for for more than 10 years, I traveled internationally a couple times a year and domestically at, at least once or twice a year. And probably for the first four or five years that I traveled internationally, I went in, did my work and left. And it wasn't until like the fifth or sixth year that I'm like, okay, wait a minute here. That's a waste. It's very unlikely that I'm gonna end up back in Budapest again, or that I'm gonna be back in Vienna. So this is crazy. I'm not seeing anything. I'm flying in, meeting with my colleagues, doing my work, going out for a couple of nice dinners, and I'm flying back home. Like this is crazy. And part of it was because I had my kids were like young teens during all those years and I always felt the need to like rush back as mom I felt guilty that I was getting to enjoy these amazing places by myself and so it was probably a lot of that guilt that brought me back and then one day I said okay wait a minute this is just crazy I started planning to extend my any of my work trips by at least 24 hours and I spent that entire 24 hours by myself and it was the best thing I ever did And I wish I would have done it from the beginning because I missed the chance to see some and spend time in some really amazing places but those are the lessons you learn. And that's also what happens when you get into a new culture and you spend 24 hours in a community with a new culture in a different place. That's when I started to experience like this total free feeling of open thinking and community and learning about places other than the United States. It was amazing.
2: I agree completely. I think we're in a bubble here. And Mm -hmm. so many people don't travel or they feel like we have a really big continent that we're on, right? So we don't really need to travel to go anywhere and see amazing things. You can see so many great things in the US and we're so lucky. And it's easy to travel here. You know, we don't need anything to cross states really, but going somewhere else, you need visas and you need, you know, to deal with the long flights and it becomes really hindersome for people. They don't want to travel anywhere because they feel like there's all these obstacles. But when you do, you... You see that the world travels. The whole rest of the world travels, except for us, really. And the whole rest of the world kind of has that experience where they take a month and they go immerse themselves in another culture and they find it normal to take, you know, a week and completely disconnect from your jobs. Like that's something that they do on a regular basis. And so much so with each other that it almost starts to feel like being in a bubble is to our detriment. Like it's unfortunate that we can't mingle and kind of know each other in the same way and speak 20 different languages. Everybody speaks a different language except for the U.S. We're the only ones that speak only English. And it's so sad because it's just a matter of of that, of being in our bubble. Like the people in Europe speak so many languages just by virtue of being in Europe. And Europe is the same, you know, smaller than we are. And, but if the states all spoke different languages, we would speak different languages of the people around us. And it's kind of a shame to be closed off in that way. And I hope that in the future, more people will be able to immerse themselves so that they can see that America is amazing. And there's so many ways that we can kind of communicate that and share that with the world in a way that people can see that and appreciate that better.
1: Mm, yeah. And you explained that very well. I, I think that it's almost like it, it fosters diplomacy as well, like diplomacy for your neighbor. You know, I spent 14 years in Toronto, Jen. I don't know if you and I talked about that. So being in the greater Toronto area for a big chunk of time really embedded that culture in me because you know I'm born and raised in Colorado in a small town. And there's a lot of people that I was raised with that have never been off this continent. And I get it. You know, that's that's how a lot of us were raised, but spending time in Toronto, I mean, that's like a, a very, you know, metropolitan type city. It's I, I don't know how to explain it if you haven't been there, but all of the cultures and the neighborhoods, they all blend together and everybody travels all over the place together. And it really fosters a sense of community. So, okay, we need to dive right into your expertise. I want our listeners to well, first I wanted them to hear about why this matters to you, like how you got so educated in this field and how you can help people really embrace the idea that if they want to travel and they want to do it, that it's possible to do it in an affordable way and build it into your life. Not, okay, one day in 10 years when my exit strategy falls into place and I sell my company for $40 million, then I'll travel. No, it's possible to do it now in the way that that's feasible, Right. Absolutely. All right. So let's start with. So we start with flights. Let's go in the order of your book. Let's talk about like flights, because I think that that's the biggest piece, right? You talk about that being the most expensive part that is often the biggest hindrance.
2: And it's what people get the most excited about. If I post something saying, I just found my $38 flight to New Zealand, everybody flips out. So (laughs) people love it. Cheap flights. They love saving money. People love it. So number one tip join Scott's Cheap Flights. Scott's Cheap Flights.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm.
2: His name is Scott Keyes, the guy behind the list. He started the list just to alert his friends about different deals that he found. He ended up growing the list. It has more than 3 million people on it now at this point. So it's a huge list and he has a team all over the world. And basically they're just scouring search engines to find the best deals for you. So at some point you'll get an email alert when something comes up and they'll tell you, you know, mistake fare, $500 round trip flight to Kenya, you know, and you can like, Just take advantage of it and book when you get the email. So email alerts are so crucial. And there's a lot of different programs that have seen that this is profitable because it's a subscription model list. So people want to bank on that. And you kind of have to be careful and vet the programs. I have a review on my website about Next Vacay. You may have seen advertisements for them pretty heavy on advertising throughout Facebook and different social media channels. So I get people that come to my website looking for an honest review on them. And I tried them for a month and I didn't have the best experience with canceling, didn't have the best experience with the deals that they offered. So I really have been on Scott's list now for years. I can vouch for it. It's an amazing, amazing list. And I get so many good deals
1: from there. So, okay. There's there's one resource, so I, I guess we should tell people to get your pen and paper out because there's going to be we're not going to include all of this in the show notes. We'll include some of the relevant links. So we'll include is is on your website will people be able to find some of these resources? Yes. Okay, so we'll put your website in the show notes. Okay, so Scott's cheap flights that's one main stop shop for that. Now, can you put alerts in? Let's just say, like for me, one of my goals is to spend time in the next year in Greece. You know, I would love to go for a month. I'll be able to do my work half day, not all day, because I do want to enjoy it. But I want to do it on a beach in Greece solo. So is it possible for me to put all that information into that list and get alerts only on that area?
2: You can get alerts departing from your area. So you can get alerts just leaving from your airport or other regional airports. But it's better for you to receive all of the alerts that you get, because let's say that there's an incredible $200 round trip deal to Spain, and then you can connect from Spain to Greece for 50 bucks on Ryanair. You know,
1: that's worth it. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, so, okay, keep going, because I have some questions around how to figure all that out, but keep going about flights. Okay.
2: So the next thing that you want to do is you want to be cognizant of the budget airline. So Ryanair that I just mentioned is a really popular budget airline in Europe. People hate them. All of the European people make jokes about them saying that like Ryanair's mission is to make you cry before you board the plane. But, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> But if you're boarding the plane for $20, who cares? Shed a tear and get to your destination. Why do
1: people get so upset about it? What's wrong with it? Is it just difficult and they, do they have a lot of flight changes or what's the problem?
2: They have restrictions. So like they're really strict on the bag. You may have to end up paying for the bag fee if you end up bringing a bigger bag. They're really like, and I've tried to get one over on, on all of these things. Like I've tried to be like, okay, yes, I have my mobile boarding pass. I don't have to go to the gate to check in. It's like, I know it's the right size, but it's just not the right weight because they go by weight in Europe, not by size. So even if it fits in the mold, if it's overweight, they won't let you take it as your carry on. And then they weigh it all in like kilograms. And then it's like, turns out to be very, very minimal pounds. I mean, it's just such a pain. So I've tried to bypass that. Get my mobile ticket, go through security, get to the gate and bam, there they are waiting with a scale.
1: Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's so funny. I love that you tried to crack the system though. You're like, I'm gonna try this and just see if it's really as bad as everybody says. I've tried
2: everything. One of my favorite tips actually the secret tip that's really great for getting if you need to do something about your carry-on situation, you don't want to pay like you just and you're just a couple pounds over, my secret tip for this and I tell, I tell, well, I can only share it with my book. Go to Booty Free they will allow you to bring on two duty-free bags in addition to your carry-on. So if you put other stuff in your duty-free bag, nobody's going to look through your duty-free bag to see what's in it. So that can free up a little bit of pounds for you.
1: Oh, that is so funny. Really? So you could take out like, now, so I'm assuming you travel most of the time with just a carry-on. You don't check a bag very often. So it's something like, I don't know what, like your extra laptop battery or your charge cord, your like laptop charge, charge cord, because those are heavy, or like your makeup bag. Do you like put that inside your duty? beauty-free bag. Yeah, if I need to, if I have oh, like something to get me
2: over. It. And I've gotten, I got a tip from, I got that tip actually from a Greek woman once on an airplane because everybody was going and they also let, like, it's kind of free for all boarding in Europe. So people board from the front of the plane, from the back of the plane, and you board from the tarmac, like you don't board from the inside. Like, yes, you know I've
1: done back. that. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's really quite funny to me, actually. But there's always going to be a seat. They're not going to oversell seats. So I don't know what everybody's big problem is unless you're, I guess, if you need a bag space overhead, the, that's in, the problem. It's the, that's why it's, you know, you know Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> it reminds me of people that do like those, you know, Iron Man um, races. And they talk about when everybody jumps in the water at the same time, it's like a battle the first mile just <laughs> to find your space. You're talking about like having to jump on a plane and like battle to get in space.
2: Yes, it's really that serious. And then, oh and that's why I always use my under seat space too. Like I never have space to just stretch out my legs into that under area because a bag is there. So that's like, it's really, it's a whole thing. Nobody wants to check the bag. It's a pain if you have to arrive and then wait for the bag that you checked. Sometimes things get damaged when you check them and they're not meant to be checked. So it's really just overhead. But really,
1: if we're talking $20 flights, you're saying just suck it up, take the flight.
0: Don't you just feel smarter when you're listening to this? I know I do. The free stuff on this site is really, really good. But you'll also love the stuff that comes with your premium membership. Just $4.99 a month because we want it to be accessible to everyone. And let's face it, we spend way more than that on a coffee. And it hardly helps you have a fabulous life like we do. Join today at ladieschitchatclub.com. That's ladieschitchatclub.com. We're going to make your life better. So we really appreciate the help. Oh, and there are no commercial breaks. Let's get back to what we were doing now. Exactly. And I paid
2: for it. And on flights that are that cheap, I will suck it up and just pay for amenities. So and I'll decide as I go. So if I have a bag, I'll suck it up and I'll pay for a bag. If I want the window seat, and it's 20 bucks for the window seat, you know what, I'll pay for the window seat because I want to be comfortable on that flight. And I take it as I go, I decide as I go, depending on my budget. And that's why I like that structure of the budget airlines like Ryanair, like Norwegian, like Wow Air. Wow Air got really famous offering those $99 flights to Iceland nonstop. They have leaving all the time off the East Coast, Washington, Boston, Miami. Norwegian recently started doing a ton of routes to California. So LA, San Diego, I think they're even going down to Buenos Aires from, you know, the England, UK area. So,
1: so interesting because I I don't know if I've ever actually seen either of those airlines. And I wonder if it's because normally when I travel, I would search on like Expedia. Are those budget airlines featured on main sites like that?
2: Not always. So, you have different types of websites. The travel aggregators, the ones that just kind of get together all kinds of different airlines to show you, they may or may not feature all the websites. And sometimes, budget airlines, particularly Southwest Frontier, I believe, don't really show up. Norwegian and WoW should show up on some, like Google Flights will show Norwegian and WoW air prices. Mm-hmm but you can go directly to their homepage and they'll have a ton of different specials available on there. You go to Norwegian, you can select, you know, USA as your home base. And then just right on the homepage, you pick your departing airport and it'll tell you all kinds. You'll see all kinds of places where it's going and it'll give you for the next, when you're booking on the homepage, you should book about three to four months out. So for now, say you want to go somewhere in the summer, you maybe want to start looking sometime in like February or so to start booking for those trips. And they'll have Open seats. I just booked a flight back on Norwegian nonstop from Madrid to Boston in May for $150. Wow.
1: So you're saying that, like the fall plans that I have to spend some time in Huntington Beach, I should start booking those now, start looking at those budget airlines now, or go to scott'scheapflights.com?
2: Absolutely. Yes.
1: Okay. So time matters. Um, Now, okay. So talking time, is it possible to get cheaper flights if you wait till the last minute, like those sell off flights? Is that still a thing? Sometimes. And so when,
2: what you'll get there is like, I am part of JetBlue's email list. And so every now and then I'll get a flash sale from JetBlue and that's them trying to sell leftover seats that they have. Mm -hmm. So like, if I looked now, I could find some seats, you know, that they'll have leftover for, you know, that they'll be trying to auction off at this point for less than a hundred dollars, just to get those sales on the, the seats booked on their flight. A month out usually is when you get that. If you're part of their email list, it helps because they send it directly to you. They host them quarterly, these flash sales, just to kind of liquidate seats. So you'll get the emails from them. I get them from Southwest. I get them from JetBlue. I get them from Allegiant every three weeks or so.
1: So it's not as difficult as I, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people think, you know, I think that part of the reason why a lot of us pay prices that we do is because we don't know how to navigate finding good prices. We don't, or the time, right? That's the other thing. I mean, if you're talking about Ryanair, so let's just say I want to go to Greece in November, I wouldn't have thought to fly to Spain if the flight to Spain is cheaper and then get a Ryanair flight. So these are all things that you cover in your books, I'm assuming, or I've seen, I should say talk to me about you know how to really manage the process of travel because you do a kind of piecemeal right you you might book a one-way flight and then a connector or a bus somewhere to get you to your final destination and same thing you might wait until you get a better sale on the way home and the way home is still two hours from the airport you flew into no big deal you just get the cheaper flight and make your way there
2: Absolutely. That is exactly what I'm doing. That's what I did for the Spain trip that I have coming up. So I booked. Initially, I got an email alert from Scott and it said $300 round trip flight to Spain. I said, awesome. I'm going to be right near that city anyway for a conference. It was actually two hours from where I was going to be for the conference. So I thought, let me fly down to Boston, take the flight to Spain, leave my car in Boston, and then come back and then drive back home. So that was my plan. I went to go book. Sometimes with flight alerts, because it is time dependent, because if it's a mistake, fair airlines will realize because the seats will book, whatever the case may be. By the time you get to it, it may not be the price. So Mm -hmm. I looked, the price had inflated. It was up to like almost 500. I wasn't ready to pay that. 300 was a deal. 500, not so much. Mm -hmm. So now at this point, but I went and I dissected it and I saw that what happened was that the return flight was the one that went up, not the flight there. So the flight there was still at a good price at like the 150. So I booked the flight there and I thought... I'll just I'll just do that and then I'll get the return flight later and I'll just keep my eye out the next couple of weeks for a flight back from Boston and then I realized that if I came back during the week. I came back on a Thursday, ultimately, because I did buy my return flight now because they're starting to go up a lot for May. But Norwegians still had tickets out for the middle of the week for pretty cheap. Once you got to the weekend, they were about twice that price, about 300 for the flight. But I got in on Thursday, 150 bucks. It was the cheapest one in that kind of two-week date. So I picked that date to come back and 300 round
1: trip, there it is. Honestly, you are amazing. Like you are just, I love it. You are, you're handling this like smart, but you're being crafty, but you're also being so willing to flex. You know, that's, that's the thing is you are willing to say, okay, what's the big deal? If I have to go two days later or drive an hour to a different airport, what's the big deal? I think that maybe we're all just lazy travelers because we don't do that, right? Or, I mean, let's just say we also don't understand that it's way easier than people think it is. And maybe it's actually not. If, if it was way easier, maybe more people would be doing it. But we're, we're going to take this podcast to a lot of people and they're going to understand how to be more thrifty when you travel. so it's, So you can do more of it, right?
2: And it's something that I've done in so many different layovers, like the layover doesn't have to be bad. So for instance, when I was in England, I was in London Stansted connecting back on a Norwegian flight that was cheaper to fly back from than to fly from France. I had a day there and I ended up going punting, like in, in the university town and seeing that like Cambridge and just really enjoying yeah. my five hour layover. There are airports that offer free city tours on a layover. You have uh, Singapore, you know, Tokyo, Istanbul, they all offer free city tours. There's a ton of different things that you can do. So just because you have this connection doesn't mean that you can't make that part of your trip. And a lot of times people have connections anyway, even when they book, you know, just the flight round trip somewhere, it'll include a connection somewhere. So why not schedule it yourself? Like you really shouldn't have any fear of thinking I can piece that same kind of itinerary together, I could do it for
1: cheaper, and I could enjoy myself more along the way. Why do you think people have fear of doing that? What's what holds people back?
2: I think there has to be a catch. And and there's always, you know, things to be aware of. So like I said, with flight alerts, you have to be aware of the fact that prices do go up and you have to be wary of how you book. With regards to the connections, you have to be aware of how long it's going to take you to get to an airport. So I was coming back from the Czech Republic, I connected through the Ukraine to come back and I didn't realize that it would take forever for <laughs> the Ukraine bags to go through and cut out of security in mm-hmm. JFK like forever it took 2 hours that I was in baggage claim and because of that I just barely missed my connecting flight the small flight back home to Rochester these mm-hmm. things happen mm-hmm. and so you would ideally want to allow yourself enough time you know Atlanta airport is a big airport you have to take a train to the next station like it's mm-hmm. kind of a pain every time you go so you have to give yourself some time to make those connections and if you know it ahead of time great if you don't and something goes wrong okay it happens. So like that flight I missed, I just went, I talked to the agent, hey, I'm here, I'm ready. And they're like, oh, well, we're not going to make it. We'll just reschedule you for the one in the morning. I went and I got a, a, a place to stay, you know, just down the street I was exhausted. I was coming off from the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I needed a, a bed. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but I could have just like hung out in the airport, but I sometimes I know my own limits. And I went and I paid for myself for like four hours because I said, I don't care what it takes. I just need to stretch out and just every really day yeah. yeah,
1: it's so funny because um, my family lives Lives my mom's side of the family and my sister live in Ottawa, in Canada, and so we travel back frequently. So I took my dad with me a couple of times, and he's in Colorado with me. And he despises traveling; like he just hates it. He hates the people, he hates the stress. And you know, a couple of years ago, uh, we were traveling, and I said to my dad, "Listen, what does it matter? What, so what if we miss the flight?" And his his he just kind of looked at me for a minute. I'm like, "You don't have to run to catch the flight. If we miss the flight from Chicago to Ottawa, there will be another one. If it's not tonight, it will." Be tomorrow. We will get there. Like, there's no rush. And I kind of saw his shoulders like calm down a little bit. Now, I can tell you though, as much as I preach that, I have missed many connections when I'm traveling for work. And that's been very difficult. I've been stuck in places and missed entire meetings. In fact, I've made it all the way to Europe and not gotten to the final destination of where I needed to be because my flights were canceled and literally turned around and took another nine hour flight home and didn't attend my meeting and didn't leave an airport. So, I mean, okay, it happens. It's, it's not always great but on on a personal note if you're traveling personally what does it matter if it takes you till tomorrow just make sure you always have a good book and you have a charger for your phone so you can listen to music i mean so what does it matter and that's that's a change now i like i said i do want to clarify that a lot of people that travel for work that's a different stress ball because when you miss it for work it's different but for personal just just chill yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think we just don't want to be inconvenienced. We fear that it's going to be so difficult that we're going to have to put ourselves in this kind of problem solving, high stress kind of elevated blood pressure situation. And it can be like that certainly, but you know, it doesn't have to be, you can really take all the precautions necessary over plan everything and just really hope, you know, wish for the best. You can't, Plan everything. I was stuck for twelve hours in JFK coming back because of a winter storm. I got to watch the entire season of Frankie and Grace on Netflix. And
1: uh, so. See? I mean, it's it's always doable. I've exercised in an airport before. I've like done a full like thirty minute calisthenics, you know, in a hallway workout because I happen to be traveling leggings and I had my running shoes in my bag and I was delayed by four hours and I had a lounge pass, like a United lounge pass because I have a friend that works in the industry and I'm like, well, before I go into United and like sit back and watch a movie and eat more food. I'm going to just exercise. So I did, I did, you know, squats and burpees and push-ups and did all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure every single person that passed by thought that I was the craziest thing they've ever seen. But you know what? I felt great. I got on the airplane, felt great and tired and well rested. It was, it was funny.
2: They're catching on actually. Some airports are offering yoga studios now.
1: I saw that. Yeah. Yoga studios are great. And having a massage when you're at an airport is really good too, especially if you have a long flight ahead. I find it really helps you relax and sleep. That's a good tip. And I'm imagining that most of the time, the flights that you're talking about are coach flights. These are not, we're not talking business or first class flights, right?
2: For me, but they don't have to be for everyone. So for me, I personally, even if I got an amazing deal on business or first class, I would, it's still going to be more than a coach flight probably. So I'll spend less on the coach flight to have more money to spend on flights. But Scott's Cheap Flights does send out business class alerts when they find them. So Uh. maybe- You'll get a fifteen hundred dollars flight for six hundred, but for me, that's still not necessarily a bargain. So I'll still fly coach yeah. on a plane flight. For yeah. me, but that's a personal preference.
1: Yeah, I totally understand. Okay, so that's so there's lots of resources for good cheap flights, and you know, of course, we're gonna put the link in on. Your book and how people can access your resources. So let's talk about hotels. So let's say instead of flying home on a Saturday, I flew home on a Wednesday, but isn't it possible that the difference of those hotel, those nights of hotel are going to cost it the same as if I would have just taken the flight on the weekend?
2: It's possible. And so it's why you have to kind of see and compare and contrast. Sometimes you can get a better deal if you're staying for longer. So if you're staying put as opposed to hopping around, you can actually get discounts and on Airbnb or the popular booking sites, they'll have different rates depending on the number of nights you book. So if you can stay put somewhere, you'll probably get a discount if you stay longer. Mm -hmm. I also generally, while I don't Stay in hostels. I know people that do, and they can get re- really great hostel deals. In some of the cities that you were mentioning, Budapest, you know, Vienna, you can find amazing, you know, ten dollar night places. I'm pretty sure that
1: the, most of the people listening, including myself, there's no interest in staying in hostels. I mean, that's just not an option. <laughs> but in Airbnb in a community, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely an option. If you can find a nice apartment, if you're staying in a city, and you know you don't want to pay for a hotel, it's 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 definitely a a really great to me, a really great option for travel.
2: So absolutely agree. My requirements personally, because I travel by myself, I need there to be my own bathroom. I cannot share a bathroom with people. And I need there to be a deadbolt between me and the rest of the world at night. So I can't have anybody else in the room. I need there to be a deadbolt in my own bathroom, my little ensuite, And with that, I'm good. So I've stayed at b bs I've stayed at homestays. In Bali, I was at a homestay with a family, 13 bucks a night, and they just-
1: Really? Hired. Wow.
2: And so I also pick places where I know that I'm not going to be paying $200 a night for lodging because that's not the budget that I'm at right now. But if, People wanted to, they could. But for the most part, I try to go places where I know there's going to be cheaper lodging. In south of Spain, you can find somewhere for $30, $40 a night. You know, like it should be not hard for you to find these deals, depending on where you're going. If you want to go to London, you're going to have a hard time finding cheap lodging in London. You know, maybe try staying with a friend somewhere, or maybe, mm. you know, another option like that, or stay out of the city center and take public transportation to go in. A lot of these cities, European cities, especially, have really advanced public transport systems. And public transport. I I don't understand why people get so nervous about it. I mean, it's public. So it's meant to be understandable by everybody and easy to use by everybody. And all you gotta do is just look at the map and follow along and they even like draw diagrams for you. I mean, they make it very clear. So even if it's in another language and you have no idea what the stop says, you can just you can really take advantage of that and take stay outside of the pricey areas in Paris. You know, they have really advanced public transportation and you can stay outside of the areas but still be easily accessible without having to deal with that traffic on the way in. But I definitely- and that's,
1: that's another difference between how Europeans travel and Americans travel, because in the United States, if, if there's, there's just certain cities that, Using public transportation just makes sense. Like if you're in New York, there's no point in even trying to drive. That. And that's not about stature. That's not about that. That's about convenience. No. I mean, if you want to set traffic for two hours, feel free. Or you can you know hop on the subway and get there in 12 minutes. I yeah. mean, that's, that's, and that's what it's like in a lot of cities that you're referring to is the public transportation isn't necessarily viewed the same in the United States as it is other places in the world. I know, I'll give you this interesting example. Have you ever been to Bruges in Belgium? I haven't. Belgium is
2: one country that I'm so... Oh you know missed unfortunately
1: oh i loved bruges so much and i had one day i think it was in geneva and i had like a whole day free and i went to the train station i had my day bag packed and i was going to go to paris it was like i don't know two and a half hour train ride to paris i'm like no problem i'm still going to get five hours in paris i'm going to do that but i knew i also wanted to go to bruges because there's this movie with it's not what's it some actor by the name of colin i forget his last name handsome guy you should see it. it's called on bruges or in bruges (laughs) and i saw the sign on the train terminal, and I'm like, oh, and it's only like an hour, 45 minutes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going! And I walked up, bought a ticket, hopped on a train, and boom, went to went to Belgium, and hadn't even planned to do that. And it was literally like the best day ever. I got lost in the city, and they have these town squares where there's no cell phone devices or computers. And it's, there's no signs that say it's not allowed, but the community does not support electronics when they're having like their coffee and morning time. I just couldn't believe it. I got off the train and I'm I'm walking around. I walk into this one little patio and everybody's reading newspapers and they're talking to each other and they're drinking coffee and having pastries. And it's amongst all these like cobblestone walls. Anyway, it was probably one of the best things I'd ever done in my life. And and I just happened to walk in the train station. I was going to go to Paris. I'm like, forget that. I'm going to Bruges. First of all, I know there's a lot of chocolate there. So that's, yes. what, that's what took me there in the first place. But yeah, the public transportation system and the, the train system is just a, a phenomenon that when you go to Europe, you have to experience it because it's just a great way to travel.
2: And intercity, intercountry. Yeah, like you right. It's really an easy way to get around.
1: Yeah, and it avoids having to rent a car. Sometimes it's nice to rent a car, you know, if you need to, but I do find that that public transportation piece is an important part. Well, listen, I know we're getting close to our time, but we've like only touched the tip of the iceberg. Do you have like online training outside of your books? Or do you do coaching in this field? Like, let's say, I know, like I told you, I want to go to Greece, I'm ready to book a month in Greece. Do you help people with this service?
2: I'm working on revising courses that I offer about the different services. So I have a course on affordable flights that I'm going to offer and one on solo travel. They don't offer one-on-one at this time, but I'm always happy to answer questions. People email me all the time and I always try yeah, to help, that's in nice. general, you know, yeah. and point them to the right direction. So I have a lot of resources on my website to help them do it. But I think, you know, it's kind of a teach a man to fish and they'll, you know, eat forever yeah. and just give them the fish. And then, and then also sometimes they can't take the fish because they don't have their credit card ready to book right when you give them the fish.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. very good point. <laughs>
2: but yeah, I have friends that are in the sphere and I, I partner with a lot of different people and I have really good, like Scott Keyes is a friend of mine that we've grown to know each other after the last couple of years. I have a friend who's a retired flight attendant that does trips for people that are a little more affluent and want to spend the money to be able to be on an environment where somebody guides them through it. And it really does provide everything for them without them having to book it themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I know that Great. the do it yourself isn't for everyone. Yeah, um, she's right. actually, you know, it, it's not. And it's okay. And, and it takes up more work. And I I like it because I can customize it. But some people, like you said, right in the very beginning, right? They just yeah. want to go somewhere and, and click off and then not have to worry, mm-hmm. not have to plan and not have to see, is that my stop? Did I miss my stop? Did I get lost in the city? And so for those people, I, I do recommend taking tours. My friend Carol at World Traveler Wishlist, she's amazing. She hosts these Oh my God, incredible trips. Every time I look, she's at a palace in Lisbon or in this amazing, like high-end five-star retreat in Bali. And she does it for all affordable prices, like under $2,000. She's going to South Africa, Morocco. I mean, just amazing bucket list experiences because she has that experience of 40 years of flight attendant. She does these kind of personal groups with people. People have asked me to hold those tours. I just haven't ventured into that sphere yet. It's been a lot for me to do a one-man show here. So maybe one day and I would love to, but for now I have my books, I have resources on the website and I'm working on coming out with courses that can be purchased on udemy i'm working on finalizing
1: amazing what's tell us about your new book
2: It's the solo female travel book. It's about how to travel by yourself. So I think for a lot of women, whether they're single, whether they are on a work trip abroad and they want to just explore a city on their own, whether they are, you know, just trying to find a way to have an adventure. You don't have to go to Europe. You don't have to go across the world. You can have an adventure close to home, but it's practical tips and some stories. This is the first book where I'm actually venturing out besides just kind of nonfiction and giving more of my personal experiences, my, Mm. you know, from the most cringing six weeks where I lived in Australia and had a horrible moment where I embarrassingly kind of projectile vomited all over a date of mine. Oh
1: um, my gosh.
2: And to a time where I was in the Grand Canyon and had to survive, you know, overnight there, hearing the, like, the wolves in the background. So all kinds of different stories. I love it. And uh, it's the first time really being vulnerable and opening up about these experiences for people. So I hope that people enjoy it. It's called the Solo Female Travel Book. It's out on Amazon currently, paperback and ebook. And yeah, and then it has a lot of different tips as well. These are requirements you need to get, safety tips in there, how to stay connected while you're abroad. Have a list of 10 websites where you can meet people abroad because people worry a lot about getting lonely. Right. I personally, I've attended meetups abroad and I've met people that way. And it doesn't have to be intimidating. It can be, you know, you're in a group setting, but you really kind of have something to do. So you don't feel lonely. So you're not just kind of sitting there dreading that dinner that you're going to have by yourself. And you're actually enjoying the prospect of meeting new people along the way.
1: Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing that book. I will include your Amazon link in the show notes too. I think it's fascinating. I love what you're doing. I love that you have a wandering soul like I do. And I know that there's lots of people out there that want to travel. And this is a starting place to do it yourself, build your own package, make the trip affordable, and then do more of it. You know, go experience something and it, it, it could even be in the state next to you or it could be in South America or in Canada. None of these places are very far. You don't have to do an overseas flight to have a really life-changing travel experience. So thank you so much, Jen. I I think it's great. Tell people how they can find you on your social media. Uh,
2: You can find me at the handle at Jen on the Jet Plane.
1: I used to think, I originally thought it was Jenna, but it's not. It's Jen on a jet plane. <laughs> Got it.
2: Like the song, Leaving on a Jet Plane? Jen on a jet plane. <laughs>
1: Perfect. That's excellent. And I will include, you know, a bunch of information for people that would like to have more information. And I appreciate your offer to, you know, answer any questions if people have questions about travel. And, and that's excellent. And, you know, Jenna, I have one more question for you because I ask all of my guests, what is your percentage of grit and grace? 110%. Um, so that's a combined rate. Well, really, we like to think of it as like a hundred percent. You could be a hundred ten percent, but is it a hundred ten percent of equal parts grit and grace? I'm gonna say. Are you a little more gritty? Are you a little? I, more- I'm a little gritty, so I'm gonna say maybe if
2: we're at a hundred and ten. No, man. Now I've made myself do math. Could so
1: so not- like seventy five percent gray, like you know, thirty five percent grace? absolutely I love it thank you well thank you so much Jen for coming on and for those listening we will give you all the information that you need to know on how to maximize your travel and do it on a budget and not only that but do it the way that you want to do it which is what I really like that Jen does so thank you Jen thank you now my friends go be fierce Ladies and gentlemen, do not forget to visit our new subscription box site, Grit, Grace and Glory at GX3box.com. There you can find out how you can sign up to receive monthly inspiration, education and some special stuff to help celebrate you. And the best part is every box will have a contribution to a nonprofit or a social enterprise because we all know we like to be our best. and.